This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. For those of you who are joining us online, I uh, would like to welcome you to our service. Uh, Pastor Tom, over the past few weeks, in fact, before I go there, if you could turn your Bible, open your real Bibles to Romans 6. We're going to go through quite a bit of Scripture. So be opening your Bibles. I'm going to read quickly through there. But I'm going to encourage you to go and study Romans 6 at home in your own time. Uh, some of the things that we'll cover here were, are, are found in there, but just meditate on that word in there. But Pastor Tom has been uh, ministering on sanctification over the, the past few weeks, and I want to go on that vein today, but <clears throat> the title of, my, of, of the message today is, Is There a Priest in the House? Turn to your neighbor and say, is there a priest in the house? So let's read in Romans 6. This is Paul writing to the church in Romans. He says, what then shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in the newness of life. For if we have united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that the old man was crucified with him. Say, the old man was crucified with him. That the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Hallelujah. We are no longer, those of us in Christ are no longer slaves to sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For for the death that he died... He died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, also, you also, reckon yourself, be dead indeed to sin. But alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it and its lust. But do not, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. But present yourselves to God, being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Say, for sin shall not have dominion over me. For you are not under the law, but under grace. Hallelujah. What then shall we say? What then shall... What, what then... Shall we sin because we are under, not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that whom you present yourselves to, you are slave to obey? Other versions say, whom you yield yourselves to, you are slaves to, the, you are slaves to obey. You are not one slave. Who, you are one slave whom you obey. Whether it is sin leading unto death or obedience leading unto righteousness. But God be thanked. That though you were slaves to sin, yet obeyed the heart of uh, that form of doctrine 
to which you were, to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Speaking in human terms, because of the weakness of the flesh, for just as you were presented, you, you presented your members as slaves of uncleanliness and lawlessness, leading more, more and more to lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free. You were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you were you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves to God, you have your fruit to holiness. And the end is everlasting life. God bless the reading of his word. Pastor Tom did a, a series last year during lockdown on the abuse of grace. <clears throat> and most of us abuse grace or look at grace as a license to sin. As in, because grace is available, our sins will be forgiven. But Paul is emphatic here in saying that this grace translates us from being slaves to sin to being slaves to God. Because whomever we yield ourselves to, we're bound to obey. So we've been translated, we've been removed from the slavery of sin to being slaves of God, which leads us to righteousness. So he asks this question, he says, how can you, who have died to sin, who has been crucified with Christ, still live in sin? How can we live in what we are dead to? What an amazing question. Now to answer some of those questions, let's go back to the book of Genesis and look at a few things that will lead us to what we want to talk about today. In Genesis 1 verse 26 to 27, it says this. It says, then God said, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and everything that creepeth on the earth. Now, the background to this is the Spirit of God hovers over a, a, a dark, formless, void earth, and God says this is not good, and he begins to create. He says, let there be light. He creates the earth, he creates the vegetation, he creates the firmament, he creates all these good things that he calls good. Then down in verse 26, he says, now, let us make man in our own image and likeness, and let him have dominion over the earth. So God took care of man's ecosystem, everything man needed to live, God made before. He put man on earth. But he put you and I here for a reason, and that reason was dominion. That the dominion he had in heaven and on earth, he chose to work through man on earth. He chose to give that dominion to man to act on his behalf here on earth as his representatives. Now in chapter two, we see something interesting. We see the formation of man, that God formed man out of the dust of the earth. And when he formed man, the Bible says that God breathed his breath into man, and man became a living being. Now, God had made everything that man needed to live prior to him creating man. 
What is this breath that makes man a living being? Well, verse 26 reveals it. It's the breath of the life of God himself. That's what separates you and I. That's what separates the species of mankind from any other living thing. Any other living thing lives off the oxygen. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in. But man, God chose to put his image and his likeness, his very nature in him. So you could exercise the same dominion that man has in heaven. God, man could exercise here on earth on behalf of God. Does that make sense? So you and I are a living being, not by the natural only, but we're a living being that's totally different from anything else that God created. We're the apple of his eye because we have the God kind of breath. We have the God kind of life. And that's what makes us a living being unto God. So in chapter 3, when man sins, when man willfully disobeys God, Eve is tempted and deceived by the serpent, Adam willfully disobeyed God because God had given him a commandment, breathed his life into him and said, hey, listen, I've given you my nature, I've given you my very being, I've given you my very bit, I've given you my spirit so that like me, you may have dominion on my behalf on earth. But here's the thing, you're free to eat of any tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. Now, that death is not just a physical death of breathe in, breathe out. That death is the, is the death, more importantly, is the death of the life of God, the zoe, the breath of God that made man different, that gave man, uh, he, that he became a living being that was separate from anything else. So man was separated in his spirit from God when we sinned. What a disaster. What a disaster. Because when man was united with God, when man was led of the Spirit, when man was led of the breath of God, when man was led of the life of God, it ruled his thought life, it ruled his physical life, his flesh, for he was naked and unashamed. But when he was separated from God, when that life of God left him, all of a sudden his thoughts became depraved. His spirit did not rule. The spirit of God did not rule his thoughts, direct his actions. The Bible says, as a man thinketh, so is he. He did not think the God kind of thoughts. And his flesh, which now led him, his senses, his emotions, his, his, his uh, uh, five natural senses, his earthly desires, his lusts, which now led him, became bare before him. He began to see his nakedness because the cover of God was gone. Wow. What a crisis. So right then, then we see a pattern that God establishes to redeem and restore man to that place of unity with him. To redeem and restore man to that place of dominion. To redeem and restore man to that place of authority. Over the earth, because when man disobeyed, when he yielded his members to the father of lies, the devil, he became slave to the devil. He yielded his dominion and authority to him. Wow. That's why the, de the, the Satan is, is, is the ruler of this world and anything that is worldly. 
So God began a process of restoring us back to him. Restoring us back to the place of dominion. Restoring us back to the place of authority. Restoring us to the place of rulership. On his behalf here on earth. And it started when he, he himself provided the first sacrifice to clothe Adam in tunics. To redeem and restore. Adam and Eve in tunics to redeem and restore them. Then the Old Testament is a picture of this relationship with God. Is a, is a pattern. Is a shadow. That points us ultimately to our redemption in Christ Jesus. Now, the shadow, I want to tell you a story just to illustrate this. And everything that God does in, in, in the Old Testament leading up to Christ is that shadow. My, my wife has a favorite spot. She likes to sit in... Uh, in the late afternoon in the garden. And uh, when I get home, if, uh, if I were to look for her, I go there. Now, you have to go around the corner of the house to, to, to go to that spot. Now, as the sun's going down, it, there's a shadow that's cast of, you know, where my wife's sitting and you name it. So before I go around the corner, I, I could see, when I got home, I could see the shadow of my wife that she's sitting in a favorite space in the garden. I, 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 in, in my excitement to see her, I ran to the shadow and I kissed it and I hugged it and I loved on the shadow. Is that normal? But that's not the reality. That is just the evidence of the real thing being there in the garden. So I have to come round the corner past the shadow, to the real thing where I can get a real kiss, a real embrace. The Old Testament is a shadow that points us to the real thing in Christ Jesus. We go round the corner of the Old Testament to the real thing that we can embrace, the real redemption that we can embrace in Christ. Everything is a pattern that points to that. So when, when the law comes, when God gives the law to Moses and he instructs him to build a tabernacle, in Hebrews 6, God says, it says, Moses was commanded to build the, the, the tabernacle according to the pattern, exactly according to the pattern that God gave him. And in that pattern, the, the, the tabernacle had an outer court, had an inner court, and had the Holy of Holies. Now man, being made in the image and likeness of God, God is a triune God. He's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the three are one. Man is a tripartite being. Man is spirit. Man is not, I'm an accountant, no. Or this form. Man is spirit after the likeness of God. He has a soul that lives in a body. So in the same way, we see here a pattern of the tabernacle, the house of God, having the outer, the inner, and the holy of holies. Now, in that, I want to share this pattern with you. The tabernacle represented a place where the people of God could, the Ark of the Covenant was stored there. 
But in the outer court was the brazen altar. The brazen altar was to deal with this flesh. We'd, as Pastor Bonnie mentioned, would enter in with thanksgiving. And, and, and you would come to a place where you confess your sins. There was an altar to sacrifice the blood of bulls and goats, to cleanse and have the forgiveness of sin. It dealt with the flesh part of man. The inner court, when we're entering the holy place, had the lampstand with candles that gave light. It had the table of showbread. And it had the incense. Now, the incense was, you know, the place of prayer and intercession, but the inner part is like the soul of man. That's where the will is dealt with. That's where we lay down our will and the will of God is made manifest. Only then would we be able to cross the veil into the Holy of Holies where there was the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. In that place, in the, in the place of the, the, the Holy of Holies, that's where we encounter God. That's where His glory is. You've left your flesh. You've left your mind, will, and emotions. You're entering the place where you are like Him. You're entering the Holy of Holies, where you can see Him in His majesty. And only the high priest could go there. Now, this was the pattern for dealing with the Adamic nature, the fallen nature throughout the Old Testament in the Bible. The shadow that pointed us to the real thing. What, what God was delivering us from in Adam to point us to, deliver us into in Christ. And in Christ, this same picture is there. Because in Christ, our first step, as what Romans 6 said, we are to be crucified with him. He is our brazen altar. He is the sacrifice. He is the, it's no longer the blood of bulls, but the, the blood of Jesus Christ that pays the price to cleanse us of our sins, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. For that there's the remission of sin of man. Christ became that sacrifice once and for all. And in that place, we had justification. It was just as if we hadn't sinned. This old body, this old nature of Adam is made righteous by Christ once and for all when we accept him as our Lord and Savior. That moves us to the next place. The next place is the place of process. And the place of process, the inner being, we're now beginning to deal with the mind, will, and emotions of man. The soul of man. So that through the process of sanctification, it may be made holy. 
Sanctification is the process of purification from sin or deliverance from sin. Consecration, being made holy. We start off with the, the, the lampstand, the candle, which is the Bible says that the entrance of, the, of his word brings forth light. It describes Jesus as the light that darkness cannot comprehend. So when the word, when Christ comes into our life, this light comes into our life that, dark, that dispels darkness, just like it was in the Garden of Eden, where the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the earth. It was dark, void, and without form. And, and he said, let there be light, and there was light, and it drove out the darkness. Christ is that light for us. When we move over from that place, we go to the table of showbread, and he says, I am the bread of life. In that place, he says, here's my body, Eat. It's broken for you. The word comes into our lives and it begins to renew our mind. It says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be he transformed by the renewal of your minds. What transforms us? What washes? The word enters us and washes, cleanses, renews our way of thought to the way of thought that God intends us to have. By his word. Our mind is strong so that we may know what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So in that place, when we get to a place of intersection, it is no intercession and prayer. It is no longer our will be done. It is his will be done in our lives. Because now his word is in operation in our lives. Now his word is in operation in our mind, will, and emotions. So my will is laid down so I may pick his will up. Jesus shows us his pattern. And it's not about the circumstances or how hard it is or that you wanting this cup to overflow in the, or to pass through in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus says, yeah, Lord, can, can this cup pass over me? Yet not my will be done, but your will. In that place, the inner place, we lay down our will to pick up his. Only then are we qualified to step through the vein veil because now we're in a beautiful place in Christ. It is no longer I that liveth in the flesh the Adamic nation. It is no longer I that liveth in my mind will and emotions, in my thought life like Eve said, hmm the character of God may be wrong. God may, no it is not that will. It is the will of Christ, the mind of Christ that lives within me. I now no longer have the carnal mind of man, I have the mind of Christ. Then I'm qualified in Christ to step through the veil into the holy of holies. The, the, Jesus says that in, in, when we, in that place, now we are bold, we can boldly come before the throne of grace to obtain mercy, to get to the mercy seat and find grace to help us in our time of need. Man, it is in that place in the spirit realm, where we are back to who God created us to be. And the Bible says that they that are led of the spirit, they are the true, mature sons of God. We're in that place that we are the glory that we had with him from before, that Jesus prayed in John 17, where we are one with him as he is one with the Father. That pattern he walked on earth and he gave it to us. We are in that place. We're in that place where we are Christ-like. And it shows in the fruit that we live. The sin nature is gone. Our own pride is gone. 
Will and emotions are gone. Christ-like. Fruit and character are what reigns. The God kind of character. So Pastor Tom, in the word of the year, this year says this. He says we're in a season where God's building his houses. He's establishing his houses. But it's according to his blueprint. He says there'll be houses of prayer. Houses in heaven. Houses on earth. Now let me tell you, when God, the Bible says that God, Jesus, the Bible says that in Isaiah, God is establishing his house, it shall be a house of prayer for the nations. Let me tell you, in God's house, when God's building a house, every house of God has an altar. There's no house of God that does not have an altar. Because in the house, the altar is the place where God meets his people. And there are three things that are needed for an altar. One is a priest. And in the old covenant, there was a high priest. Only he could go into the Holy of Holies. In the new covenant, Jesus is the high priest, according to Hebrews. We don't have a high priest who doesn't sympathize with what we've gone through, but in every way was tempted in the way that we were tempted. He is our high priest who gives us authority to enter into the throne of grace. Second thing is, needs an offering. Every altar is an offering, has an offering. You bring an offering. And God himself, the pattern in scripture is he meets with you when he accepts that offering. In the Old Testament, it began with, with Abel. After God had instituted, God himself was the first offering. When he slaughtered the, 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 the animal to clothe Adam and Eve. The next is Abel, whose offering was accepted before God. He says, won't you be accepted? Because when it's accepted, when God is then meets with you. That's the third thing. Every altar represents a deity. And our altars represent God. Because it's the place where we give God access. Or God has access. It gives. You see, God does not counter his word. The Bible says in Psalms 115 verse 16, it says this. It says that the heavens, even the heavens, belong to God. But earth he has given to man. The authority here on earth he has given to man. So God will not violate his own word. So on earth, to move on earth, he needs an access point. And access points are through houses where altars are established, where a priest presents themselves. Like the scripture in Romans says, says, we present ourselves before God as instruments of righteousness with an offering pleasing and acceptable to God. This is your acceptable way of worship. Romans 12 verse 1 to 2. Christ himself in the altar that God established at the cross for us, became that offering for us. That offering that God accepted. So he may be reconciled and meet with us eternally and have everlasting life. So here's the question. 
in your house, is there a priest in the house? Is there an altar that God can come to and meet with you? Is there a pleasing sacrifice? In the new covenant, that sacrifice, the Bible says that, is you present, you and I present ourselves as a living sacrifice before God. Why? We go after the pattern that Jesus himself established, who presented himself at the cross of Calvary as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable before God, the process of sanctification. And we cannot be holy outside of Christ. We cannot be holy outside of Christ. So is there a priest in your house? So you and I, if, 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 the, if what God's doing in this season is establishing houses, and houses of God, houses of prayer, there's no house of prayer without an altar. There's no house that God establishes that does not have an altar. So if that is the case, do we have a priest there that can present themselves? Do we have an offering, a life that's laid down, that is acceptable to God, so God can do his bidding on the earth? God can access and do his will on the earth. That's access. Daniel gave us this pattern. Daniel was a moving altar. He was a moving house of God. When Nebuchadnezzar tried to shut him down to stop praying in his own house, the Bible says that Daniel had the habit of praying three times a day. It means in his house he did it, and when he was in his house he had an upper room. The Bible says that he went into the upper room and he still prayed at the set time. But if you're going to pray three times a day, how many of you know your altar is not just in your house? There's a certain point where an altar is in your marketplace. And we see that in Daniel 2, because when Nebuchadnezzar gave the command to, to, to kill all the wise men because they could not interpret his dream, when the, the officers got to Daniel to carry out this command to kill him, Daniel says, whoa, 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 wait a minute, what? What did the king say? Take me to the king. When he gets before Nebuchadnezzar, he says, Lord, my king, please give me some time and I'll come back with an answer of what you dreamt. What is he saying? Please give me some time to go to the altar. Please give me some time to go to my altar. My altar in the marketplace. To shift things in the marketplace. The Bible says that Daniel then went to his house. Where his friends were. What Pastor Tom was talking about. You see, for marketplace battles, you don't fight alone. There's altars you have in your house. That's you alone and your family. That's private intercession for public victory. But altars in the marketplace where the world wants to kill you, where the world hates us, wants to take us out, you better have counsel. You better have people you're doing life. You better have godly kind of counsel with you that can come to the altar with you. So Daniel gathers his friends and says, let's pray, let's go to the altar. That's an altar in the marketplace. God gives him insights and he goes and interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream and he's promoted. Where does promotion come from? It comes from the Lord. Promotion comes from, that's an altar in the marketplace. That's a moving house in the marketplace. 
But these men just didn't do that in their houses and their marketplace. More importantly, David shows us this pattern. There's an altar in the house of the Lord. David, in Psalms 20, when he's under distress and trouble, says, oh Lord, send me help from the sanctuary. Accept my burnt offerings. There's help that comes from the sanctuary. There's help that comes from this corporateness. The Bible says that one will put a thousand to flight, but two will put 10,000 to flight. You better come into a place where you enjoy the help of the sanctuary, where you enjoy the house. Where you're backed up by the house. It's like, if you're a foreigner in a foreign land, there's war in the Ukraine right now. Where are people being told to seek refuge? They're being told to go to their embassies, right? Because we, no matter what the disaster around you, when you step into your embassy, when you step into your house, you're free, you're immune from the law, from the persecution, from the prosecution of the land you're in. Don't you know that you're in this world, but you're not of it? So when you step into God's house, you're stepping into your embassy. You're stepping into, no, you know what? This world here does, does not, I'm immune to the systems. Of, I'm immune. I'm stepping into perfection. I'm stepping, in, don't you know the name of the Lord is a strong tower? He said to Solomon that I'll put my name on this temple that you'll build. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. They that run to it, shall find safety. So David said, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Why? He knew he had safety there. He knew there was an altar there that would give him victory on the elements of the world. He knew there was an altar that would keep him protected in that place. He knew in that place he had the backing of the house. So David did the... Uh, some things that were shocked the whole nation of Israel. First, he goes into the, he seeks refuge in the house of the Lord and he eats the, the bread, the uh, show, uh, bread at the show, the table, uh, show bread at the table. David, this is set aside for priests. David eats that. Why? And he lives. David knew he was a priest. David had the revelation of what was coming through Christ. He stepped into that place and did what? Because priests confidently go to the bread of life. It was in the sanctuary. The bread of life was here. He was a senseless brute going mad, being pursued by his enemies. Psalm 73 said, I knew, I understood the fate of my enemies when I came to the house of the Lord. Here is where your enemies are dealt with. The fate of your enemies are right here. So when this old altar is opened up, stay in your seats. You're like the children of Israel who stu stood way off the table, of, uh, show table, show bread at the table of the show. That st stood way off the bread of life. They said we couldn't go there because we're not the priest. Moses, you deal with God, not us. We still have people staying away from the presence of God. Why? You're not priests. You don't see yourself as priest. The altar is foreign to you. You, you, you. We hang on to our mind, will, and emotions, our own pride. Too clean, too big, too, uh, I'm okay, I don't need to go there. Man, a man who's died in his flesh, willingly 
like David, a man who knows he's got enemies pursuing them and wants victory, willingly runs to the house of the Lord. Knowing that in that place he's no longer a brute beast, but he has understanding. Why? Because when you enter into the house of the Lord, it, what's important is not how or what comes into the house. What's important is what comes out. Because when David says, when I went out of the house of the Lord, I had understanding of the fate of my enemies. That's why David never went to war without inquiring of the Lord. Don't you know it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out? In the same way, make the tree good and it will be good. So when we come into the place, into the holy of holies, we, we shut up and we hear God. And in that place, we get understanding, get wisdom and revelation, as Pastor Bonnie taught two weeks ago, to then go out and have victory out there. What comes out is more important than what's gone in. Why? Because transformation takes place from the inside out. So when we open the altar, when the altar is open, man, we should run here. Lay down your flesh. It's crucified with Christ anyway. Lay down your soul, your inner man. Because that thing is prideful and will have you rebel against God. It will try and make you a God. When you come here, you're saying, I am not a God. You are God. I'm coming to encounter you. That's what happens when we come here. In the house of the Lord, that's what happens. When you do it in your house, same story. That's, I am not a God. You are God. But when I come out of that place, God with me. And if God is with me and for me, who can be against me? That's the path of victory. So today, this is just an exhortation that God's made you and I houses individually. Have an altar for the individual house. You're a moving altar. I hope we've got a house. Earthly houses, we've got altars at home with our family. Altars in our mark. Wherever you go, you carry the altar of God with you. And there's an altar here in the sanctuary that we must use when opportunity is given. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.